series during Lent, we are having both, uh, on most Sundays, both an Old and a New Testament reading. Our Old Testament reading today comes from Exodus 12. I'll be starting at verse 1 and then, then skipping some verses through verse 13. This is the story where God instructs the people of Israel to establish the feast of Passover. It happens immediately before God is leading them into out of slavery, across the Red Sea, and into freedom. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at midnight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals, On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Then our second reading is from the Gospel of John in chapter 6, starting at verse 48, again skipping some verses. This follows the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus is giving a discourse to his disciples on the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood You have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like that which your ancestors ate and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. Both these passages are the word of God. Thanks be to God. During this Lent at Westminster, the five sermons I'm preaching form a series whose name is Construing the Cross. This series looks at different but complementary ways that our faith seeks to interpret the death of Jesus Christ as sacrifice, as scapegoat, as deliverance, as tree, and as serpent. Today, the association we explore is that of the cross with deliverance. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, come kindle the flame of sacred love in these expectant hearts of ours. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I remember learning in seminary that just as the death and resurrection of Christ are the most significant events of the Christian faith, The deliverance of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt is the seminal event in the faith of the Israelites. I also remember being taught that there are linguistic links between the Hebrew word for deliverance found in the Old Testament and the Greek word for salvation found in the New Testament. And that even the name Jesus is derived from the Hebrew word meaning God saves. Deliverance and salvation are thus linked in the earliest understanding of the Christian faith. With deliverance from slavery giving rise to the Christian understanding of salvation from sin and death through the cross of Christ. All of this coincided with something else that was occurring in theology during the time I was in seminary. The stirring of liberation theology, in which Latin American, African American, and third world theologians were looking at the Exodus story and seeing in God's deliverance of the people of Israel from slavery parallels with God's movement in history in our day, liberating third world peoples from tyranny and oppression and African Americans from the heritage of slavery Jim Crow, and segregation. Though there were appropriate cautions against too close an identification of the Spirit of God with any one movement of human liberation, the overall message was clear. God's action of deliverance from political and economic oppression is an earthly component of God's action freeing us from our slavery to sin and death, which inflicts us individually and collectively. This theological overview has always come to mind when I have considered movements in human history when people move toward freedom. The rediscovery of the individual during the Renaissance the freedom of conscience and interpretation of Scripture that Luther brought during the Reformation, the ideals behind our own revolution 
we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And the afterlife that these words have had making their way in history to our present day with a power that neither their authors nor their readers nor we could even envision. I continue to think of God's work of deliverance when I consider the Emancipation Proclamation, women's suffrage, the defeat of Nazism, the civil rights movement, the collapse of communism, the dismantling of apartheid, the growing welcome in our country of people regardless of the most personal aspects of their sexual identity and affection. The signs, I am a man, that I saw as a teenager held high by sanitation workers in my own hometown. The images of people chiseling away at the Berlin Wall and lifting boulders, big block boulders, off of it. The photos of the students standing down the tank in Tiananmen Square. Each of these moved my heart at the time and seemed to my faith to be times in which the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God of heaven had come down to earth and had entered human history to lead people toward greater freedom. But even within these historical and political movements, the link with our ultimate fate is present. God is known through movements of deliverance here on earth, even as God prepares a place for us in the many mansions of God's heaven. Deliverance and salvation go hand in hand. Our biblical readings for today construe the death of Christ on the cross with God's liberating and salvific action in the world. Such actions come through, of all things, the distasteful image of blood. In the book of Exodus, immediately before God leads the people of Israel on their miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, God institutes the Feast of Passover by which the people will commemorate their deliverance annually. In instituting this feast, God focuses on the blood of the Lamb. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. And then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter the lamb at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, says God. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. Yet, says God, yet, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt.
In Exodus, it is the blood of the Lamb that saves the people from destruction in order that they may cross over the Red Sea into freedom. Likewise, in the Gospel of John, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus equates the bread with which his disciples had been miraculously fed with the manna that God had provided the Israelites in the wilderness. It is hard not to see a connection between the blood with which God protected the Israelites in Exodus and the blood he would soon shed on the cross. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, Jesus says. And I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. These references to body, to bread, to blood, difficult as they are for us to hear, Hearken back as well to the Passover in Exodus, where God prepares the people to depart for freedom. It is in this way that deliverance from slavery in the Old Testament is parallel to deliverance from slavery to sin and death in the New Testament, without in any way spiritualizing or replacing the significance of the Exodus deliverance. So what does all this mean for us? First, on a political and historical level, it means that no movement for human liberation is pristine or complete. When God enters human history, as I believe God does, God uses the means of history toward his purposes. A particular people, wind and sea, the reluctant voice of Moses. God even uses means of history that give us pause. The blood of the lamb is a sign of protection. The blood of Egyptians, caught between the authoritarianism of their leader and the freedom God is committed ultimately to all people having. The blood of God's own son, shed for the greater cause of the redemption and salvation of humanity. Reinhold Niebuhr once referred to the immoral elements of all historical success. Deliverance from slavery in Egypt was a historical success, but it was not pristine. When God leaves behind God's omnipotence, God's omnipresence, God's omniscience, and comes to earth, God exacts historical success. But it is not without a price. 
the blood of the lamb, the blood of Egyptians slain on the seashore, the blood of the cross. Second, construing the cross as deliverance means that we who are the beneficiary of God's beneficiaries of God's deliverance and of God's eternal salvation are recipients of God's grace not of God's reward to us for a job well done God wills all human beings to be free most of us happen to have been born that way In this regard, we are on the receiving end of God's benevolent will. Our freedom, as is our salvation, is a gift from God. We do not receive deliverance or salvation the old-fashioned way by earning it. Deliverance and salvation are given to us as gifts from a benevolent God. The salvation God offers us out of his grace and larger purposes from all all of humanity is larger than our individual decision to believe in God, than our individual decision to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, than our individual decision to rely on the Holy Spirit. The salvation God offers us is the eternal version of the earthly deliverance that God wills for all people, Israelite and Egyptian, Jew and Greek, male and female. God moves through history bringing human freedom. God moves through humanity bringing salvation. These gifts are part of the larger movement of God's redemption of all of creation, found within and jumping out at us from the pages of Genesis through Revelation. Our singular and solo lives, the fate of our individual souls, are included in this divine movement. But they neither exhaust the movement nor constitute its whole focus. Personally, I have always taken comfort, as as long as I've thought about it anyway, from the fact that, that my life and my fate, my salvation, if you will, is but one grain of sand in God's movement to redeem and to bring to himself all of creation. I have always taken comfort that my part of that is minuscule, that it's part of a larger whole. And therefore, even though I am an absolutely terrible singer, I love to sing. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. Because my personal fate is just a grain of sand within that larger movement.
I'd like to close with words from one Melito of Sardis, who was a second century Christian writer, rediscovered, I think, in the 1960s, but who expresses in a beautiful way this inexorable link between deliverance and salvation. Christ is the one who clad death in shame. And as Moses did to Pharaoh, who made the devil grieve. This is the one who delivered us from slavery to freedom. From darkness into light. From death into life. From tyranny into an eternal kingdom. And made us a new priesthood and a people everlasting for himself. So come all families of people adulterated with sin and receive forgiveness of sins. For I am your freedom, Christ says. I am the Passover of salvation. I am the lamb slaughtered for you. I am your ransom. I am your life. I am your light. I am your salvation. I am your resurrection. I am your king. I shall raise you up by my right hand. I shall lead you to the heights of heaven. There shall I show you the everlasting Father. The cross is deliverance. The cross as salvation, we are invited to the cross. And we come. We come. Amen.